What does it mean to be a conservative in Canada, and what do conservatives need to do to win? Plus, yours truly will be moderating the very first Conservative Party of Canada debate in Ottawa. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. So a bit of housekeeping, a little announcement off the top of the show here. Uh, there is a conservative debate happening on May 5th in Ottawa. It's being hosted by the Canada Strong and Free Network. They'll be hosting that debate. So far, there are six registered candidates that are going to be there, and the debate will be moderated by Jamil Devani as well as myself. So I'm very excited and pleased to be able to be a part of that. And joining me on the podcast today to discuss the debate and the broader conference and the broader conservative movement in Canada is Troy Lanigan. So Troy is the president of the Canada Strong and Free Network, it was previously known as the Manning Centre, and it was built to support Canada's conservative movement by connecting conservatives across the country and sharing best practices pertaining to limited government, free enterprise, and individual responsibility. Troy is also the founder and part-time CEO of a new think tank called SecondStreet.org. They do really excellent work. They examine public policy through stories uh, told about families and entrepreneurs and how they are impacted negatively, usually, by government policy. Troy also previously served as the president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He was over there for 10 years, and he is the chairman of the World Taxpayers Association, which is a group that creates networking and best practices to support lower tax fairer taxes all over the world. So, Troy, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Candice. I'm a big fan, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about our event. Well, let's let's talk about the event. So, I was very pleased uh, when you reached out and asked me if you wanted if I wanted to be involved in the debate. I think it's a, a great opportunity, and really the first opportunity that we have to look at these candidates to have them on the stage side by side. So. Uh, before we talk about the the broader conference, let's talk a little bit about the debate and what what is planned for that evening. Right. So we're kicking it off on Thursday evening. That's uh, May the fifth, and the opening night event will be a debate. The first opportunity to see the leadership candidates square off against each other. And what's great too is it's not just a party audience, but it's a movement audience. This conference, and we'll talk more about it, is very much. Uh, activists, leaders of think tanks, advocacy groups, um, bloggers, people in the media, you name it. So it, it's it's going to be a discussion, and, and Candace, I know you're moderating, so you'll be talking a lot about this, talking about the movement itself and the connection points between a lot of these candidates and the movements will be, I think, an important and unique contribution of this debate that we're going to have on the opening night. And then, of course, we'll be able to get into some of the policy distinctions amongst the candidates too, both on the domestic and international front. But a really exciting way to kick this off. We've been out for two full years now. We'd, last time we all got together at this event, it was called the Manning Networking Conference. We had over 700 folks and uh, we have had to take the last two years, uh, cancelled in 2020 and then in 2021 we were online. So I can tell you the enthusiasm for this event has been tremendous. And I think in particular, kicking it off with a, with a leadership debate like this is going to be a really exciting uh, start to, uh, to the proceedings for the, for the uh, two days that we'll be holding this event. Well, and it's also just a great opportunity for conservatives to ask questions of conservative leaders, because we've seen so many times in the past with the way that the media uh, cover and treat 
the conservative candidates, you know, they focus on two or three niche issues, which are the issues that the journalists care about. They're not the issues that Canadians care about, and they're certainly not the issues that conservative members care about. So I, I think that having having us, I'm, I'm very pleased that you reached out to Jamel and myself because, you know, tapping into people who are part of the sort of small C conservative network and who will uh, you can come from the independent media side. I, I think. I think. Hopefully, we'll get uh, you know more into the debates that 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 our viewers and, and people who follow True North uh, that that they care about. So that that that's what I'm hoping hoping from it all. And and it's and it's not just the issues that we'll talk about, but I also think it's important to build relationships too, right? That this sort of whole relationship between big C and small C often breaks down and. Sometimes these two sides get mad at each other, sometimes deservedly so. But I, I think the hope, too, is in bringing an event together like this, that there can be a lot of those conversations and a lot of uh, friendships and relationships uh, and exchanges uh, struck up that I think are important um, to get a lot of people on the same uh, page and moving forward on this. So, yeah, I think it's... Um, everyone's looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be exciting. And again, it's, it's a unique audience and uh, one that I think is important in getting this, uh, this current uh, debate, this decision and who the next leader of the party will be a very important um, venue for that whole discussion to start off. Well, so the, and so that's happening on the Thursday night, kicking off the weekend of the conference. I know that we have a whole bunch of our reporters from True North, myself, Andrew Lawton, uh, several other uh, will be there on the ground at the conference. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you have on the agenda for the conference? Uh, give give a little pitch to our uh, viewers, especially people who live in and around Ottawa or, or anywhere around Ontario who want to go for a little road trip and uh, check out the sort of leading conservative, small C conservative uh policy conference in the country? I'll do a pitch at the front end and the back end, but canadastrongandfree.network is our website. And there's actually two events, Candace, the first on Thursday during the day before the grand event starts off Thursday evening with the debate is a best practices forum. And it used to be that this conference would always have a session or two for practitioners, how to improve coalition building or improve our presence on social media and the like. And so when I came aboard a few years ago, we wanted to set up a dedicated day just to exchanges of, of uh, best practices. And so the best practices form is a separate um, event that takes place on the Thursday for the day before the debate starts. And that information is also on the website. Um, and, and, you know, we'll be talking, uh, there's a Facebook and, and Instagram are sending a team up from the States to do a, a workshop on that day. We'll be having a discussion about uh, does traditional media matter anymore? Uh, Andrew Lawton is one of the uh, featured speakers in that discussion. We'll have a, a session on planning for success, addressing donor chill. Um, this has been a big issue for a lot of organizations in the movement post the Emergencies Act. So that's a really important discussion we have on the Thursday. We talked about the debate Thursday night and then into Friday, we'll have a number of issue discussions. Some of the big ones uh, will be on healthcare, uh, what's happening in our cities, education reform. We'll have a, a session on market solutions to emission reductions, uh, the future of work. We have a debate we're featuring this year on big tech regulation, um, hotspots around the world, um, the growing cost of living crisis. These are all issues that you're talking about, Candace, a lot in the movement in the country, ordinary folks are dealing with, uh, as well as some um, uh, keynote speakers we're excited about. Our keynote on the Saturday morning uh, is gonna be Yanomi Park, who's uh, a defector from North Korea and 
an activist. I had the opportunity to be down in Florida last December at a conference and hear her speak. She absolutely lit up the room. Uh, an incredibly powerful story and a great speaker. And so uh, we've got a full agenda of really relevant uh, topics to the movement, but I think the country as a whole. Um, and, and we hope to blossom some ideas out of this, obviously. We always try and get um, these conferences to take action steps as to what people can do and how they can advance these issues that are important to building a, a freer, more prosperous society always. That's great. And we have a special discount code for True North for anyone who wants to register for the conference. I don't know exactly what the discount is, but you get a little bit of a, a discount from the registration fee. Uh, so you can you can use the code. It's TNM friend 22. So the letter T N M and then the word friend 22. And that will give you a, a discount. 15%, appreciate 15% that. off the registration fee. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Great. Well, I hope uh, I hope listeners will uh, head on over and 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 sign up because it's going to be a really fun weekend, really engaging. I always leave these conferences, Troy, feeling really motivated and inspired and excited because so so often as a conservative in Canada, you, you feel lonely or you feel like uh, you know everyone is is up against you or or that you know the principles that you care about and believe in uh, are being abandoned and not just being abandoned but being mocked and and being disregarded. And going to an event like that where you you hear passionate speeches and you hear people who are really doing things uh, to you know, take con concrete steps, um, you know, new ideas, fresh ideas, plus the networking side, the friendship side. Uh, you know, there's there's so much to, 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 to gain and to benefit from from these conferences. And one thing I wanted to add, too, is we have an exhibitor hall. We have uh, 25 people that are signed up as exhibitors this year. So as you make your way through the hallway in between the, you know, with the lunchroom and the various things, uh, sessions and the breakouts and everything else that's going on, you'll have an opportunity to interact with 25 exhibitors, uh, uh, think tanks, advocacy groups, uh, some industry groups come in. And um, it's just a great opportunity to make some new connections. We have a lot of new exhibitors this year. We have some new sponsors. And you know, it's interesting whenever we run um, uh, surveys on this afterwards, Candace, we find that a third of the people, and we have, we've had as many as 700 at this, are attending for the first time. So that's exciting too. And then those people, I think, as you say, get motivated and excited, and it uh, hopefully, you know, encourages them to, to do things in the movement that uh, contribute to, to the issues and those things that we hold near and dear. Well, I, I want you to tell us a little bit about your new organization, your other organization, Second Street, because uh, for, for viewers and listeners who aren't familiar with it, uh, you sort of take a different approach to public policy than a traditional think tank. So can you tell us a little bit about that project? Well, yeah, we some time ago, born with a friend of mine, some people know Mark Milkey in Calgary, and we'd go to conferences, and we'd always hear these sessions at conferences, especially when we went down to the United States, that the conservative movement needed to tell more stories. And of course, we knew this to be true, but then we'd immediately go back and you'd start talking in numbers and statistics. And, and we came up with the idea, what if we set up a think tank that, you know, as its statement of purpose was to tell stories of how uh, public policy intersects um, in people's lives. And so that's really the concept of uh, secondstreet.org. So I'll give you a really good example. One of the biggest issues that we focus on is uh, healthcare reform. And we know as, you know, uh, Fraser Institute, for example, has just done tremendous work on measuring healthcare wait lists. It's 
13.2 weeks longer than doctors recommend from the time you see your, your general doctor to you see your specialist. And then there's another time frame until you get a procedure done. But instead of talking about these numbers um, and statistics like that, which are very important, we try to complement it. We've gone out and interviewed a lot of people, for example, that are sitting on wait lists and in pain and suffering and tell their stories about how the system, how that public policy has served them. And it, it's not very good. We, we've had, um, we interviewed one woman in Ontario, Candace. She's lost not one, but two daughters. Can you imagine this? Two daughters died on waiting lists. We have some of the worst wait lists in the industrialized world. We've got to address this. We've got to talk about it. And you know, I'll, I'll say to this effect that one of the top panels that we're doing this year at the conference will be um, on healthcare reform. Uh, we've got to start having a mature conversation about healthcare reform in this conversation um, and challenging this idea that only government can provide a monopoly and ration care. This is people's lives. This is serious. Um, the practice in Canada is like nowhere else in the world. And um, it's time we start to confront important issues like this and go on the offensive, frankly, to a policy of rationing that has not served people well. So Second Street tells those very real stories and uses that as a tool, hopefully, to motivate and get the attention of policymakers to make important uh, public policy changes in this regard. Well, the, the story you told, Troy, is so awful, and, and you just hate to hear those kind of things. But you're right that conservatives uh, tend to sort of shy away from debates on health care. I was always told it was the third rail of, of Canadian politics and that talking about it uh, you know, will just derail any political campaign. And we, we sort of saw that with uh, Aaron O'Toole in the last election, that he, he, he sort of you know, proposed pretty modest uh, changes to improve the system. And the liberals came drumming out that he was trying to privatize and Americanize the healthcare system. The ma media were all too happy to jump up and start using those talking points to accuse him of trying to privatize healthcare. Uh, I, I actually think that there was a clip that uh, the, the finance minister, Christy Freeland, shared that was from one of your events uh, where Aaron O'Toole made a comment that Twitter slapped a manipulated media uh, thing on, on, on the video because she had taken it out of context or whatever. But uh, you know, to me, I think that COVID gives a huge opportunity to, to, to have this conversation because so many people, so many people like our healthcare system in theory, uh, but then, you know, as soon as they have to interact with it, they realize how bad it is. Like I have a friend who had a baby in Toronto and she doesn't even know who the doctor was who delivered the baby because the doctor ran in, ran out, no idea who it was, like can't even tell the story of like the doctor who delivered the baby. It's like, and, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. It's like, it's so dehumanizing and so impersonal that something's, you know, such an important moment in someone's life and you don't even have any kind of care. Uh, you know, what, what do you envision for a change to, to uh, Canada's healthcare system and how can conservatives really lead that conversation? We have a supply problem in healthcare is that there's more demand than there is supply available. And the way to do that is to allow um, a profit and not-for-profit alternatives for people to have choice in the system. It, take away the, uh, yes, have a universal system that's government provided, but don't deny the right of people to pay out of their pockets or have alternatives other than that, that single system. And everyone likes to compare it to the United States. It's a ridiculous comparison. Every other country on earth, I think, except for Canada, North Korea, and uh, Cuba, don't allow alternatives for people. So quit talking about the American system. We need to talk about the French system. We need to talk about the Norwegian system, the Australian system, the Kiwi system. I mean, 
Every other country offers people choice. And what's frustrating is that wealthy people, of course, can get onto a plane and fly down to a clinic in the United States or Bangkok. Medical tourism is a huge industry now all over the world. The wealthy can afford that, but those in the middle and lower class have to sit in, in these wait lines. That's extremely debilitating for them. And it hurts the economy. It hurts their families, everybody. So to provide those alternatives to, to have a lever um, off the monopoly system so that there can be more supply and more provision. And I want to say too, you mentioned COVID. That COVID has laid bare the problems in our healthcare system. And, and what's interesting is if you go to our, our website on secondstreet.org, you'll see we've done some polling. And in the last year, we've seen a six to 7% increase. I don't have it in front of me right now in support for private alternatives. The public, Candace, is ahead of the politicians on this issue. The public increasingly understands that rationing something as important as people's healthcare is wrong. It's got to change. We understand that you know, the private sector provides uh, groceries, right? <laughs> we, we, we seem to be feeding ourselves. No one would suggest that maybe the government should ration um, our food or our, our grocery supplies in the same way they shouldn't be doing it for healthcare. So I think common sense is coming to this. And I'm excited about the conference in that sense that this panel is going to, we're having uh, former Liberal uh, Premier uh, Gordon Campbell from, from my home province in British Columbia. We're having former NDP Premier from Nova Scotia, Daryl Dexter is going to be speaking on this conference. We have someone coming on from the UK. This is going to be a very unique panel, and that's why we're, we're featuring it right up front and up top, because we think it's one of the most important public policy issues. And you know what? It's a real opportunity for conservatives and conservative politicians to not just play the fiddle of the status quo, but stand out and be bold, stand up for people's right to have choice in the healthcare system, reduce these lists by improving supply and increasing supply in the system, long overdue. And so um, I hope when we get a diverse panel like that, that's speaking relatively from the same hymn book, that that's gonna be a, a powerful news item. I hope that that, um, that panel has, and, and again, getting that conversation moving forward as the polls are indicating that more and more people in Canada are ready to accept this kind of change. I think, I think that's a gr great timing, and I'm really looking forward to that panel in particular, Troy. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit pessimistic with my next question for you here. You know, there was a time where there was some excitement um, with something called the resistance. There was a group of, of conservative premiers that were pushing back against Justin Trudeau's radical progressive agenda. And it was sort of like, you know, these guys were holding the line. They were going to push conservatism. Conservative uh, politicians were doing great in the provinces. And so you had almost across the board, uh, right, center right or right leaning premiers. And yet at the same time, here we are. Uh, in 2022, and it seems like every single province that's governed by a conservative uh, is not, d doesn't look like it's being governed by a conservative, is pushing out some of the most radical left-wing policies. I'm talking about things like critical race theory um, and sort of race-based policies in Ontario schools, um, extreme lockdowns, and and I'll, I'll say right out, persecution of Christian pastors in Alberta. They, they, they don't really feel like they're being governed by conservatives. And it seems like such a missed opportunity. And, and, and sometimes I get really down on this idea that, you know, you have you have these premiers, they, they win elections, they, they get elected, they're in office, now's their chance, now's their opportunity. The provincial level is where you can do so much in terms of education, healthcare, social spending, all that kind of stuff. And yet, you know, we have these, these leaders, these governments led by people who 
kind of kind of abandoned conservative principles. They don't have the thoughtful policy leaders in their offices. They don't have the courage to stand up to the media environment. They're constantly taking the knee. They're constantly apologizing for conservatism. If, if for you, Troy, someone who comes from the movement side, someone who's been working your whole career and building up the infrastructure, the sort of you know grassroots conservative movement, making sure that policy people are connected with people who are more politically inclined and connecting the small C and big C worlds, do you share my pessimism? And, and why do you think that, <laughs> why don't conservatives have more courage? Why don't they take pride in the fact that our ideas are better? We have great ideas. We have you know, all these opportunities now that we have pr provincial leaders in, in these capitals, and yet it doesn't really feel like we're getting ahead. Yeah, well, I, I certainly share your frustration. It is really frustrating when you see a lot of conservatives that don't always behave as conservatives. Um, my theory of change, though, and I'm wearing my movement hat, is, is that politicians tend to be more followers than they are leaders. I think this is what's been proven time over time. Um, in my book I wrote some time ago in 2015, uh, the 25th anniversary of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, one of my favorite chapters, one of my favorite times in public policy change was the 1990s, um, because we didn't have a lot of conservative leaders in provincial capitals at the time. But what we had done is we had changed that we had really changed the course of the conversation about debts and deficits in this country. I remember uh, Jason Kenney and I, uh, young Troy and the young Jason Kenney were uh, in, with the Taxpayers Federation taking this debt clock across the country, province by province. And we'd follow Paul Martin around during his consultations and set up this debt clock and made ourselves available to, to media. And, and, you know, we just, we just worked and worked and worked. Think tanks worked. Um, advocacy groups worked, commentators in the media. We changed the channel in Canada. And what happened is it didn't matter what um, partisan label a lot of these politicians had, whether it was Roy Romano at the time in Saskatchewan that closed hospitals and, and, uh, and um, really cut back on spending, if it was Mike Harris in Ontario, there was a sea change in the country that regardless of what label you were under, that we couldn't live on borrowed time and borrowed money anymore. So we are able to have really meaningful change regardless of what party. So you see, I think it always has to come down. This is why the movement infrastructure is even more important than the parties in my view, Candace. We've got to have those, those conversations. We have to have that, that movement infrastructure that continues to move the agenda, move the discussion, right? We just talked about healthcare. That's a perfect example. Politicians aren't going to take up that position of reforming healthcare until they feel they have the political space to do so. And how do they get that political space? Because uh, people like yourself that are having these conversations, advocacy groups and think tanks like Second Street are out working on the ground, creating the space that politicians understand that it's a winning formula to take on that, that position. I mean, Ralph Klein back in his, his day took a ran on a campaign of cutting spending aggressively. I mean, could you imagine that today? No, because I don't think the ground is there, uh, has been tilled enough by the movement and leaders in the movement to, to create the kind of room that's necessary for that. So yes, we do get disappointed by politicians, big C, but also understand that, you know, we're losing some of these public battles too. And that's also a responsibility in all of us that are that need to till the ground, so to speak, um, with, with the general public to create um, space for these folks. It's what the environmental movement's done so well. You know, and I mean, there's a lot of examples on the other side too that are extremely frustrating, but they've, they've taken control of the agenda in ways. And so we all have a responsibility. Um, 
I get frustrated with conservative politicians, but I don't blame them all the time because I know I've seen it and I've lived it. We worked our asses off in the 1990s to change the conversation in this country about um, managing our finances. And we won. We won. We, we balanced budgets. We ran surpluses. We were able to lower taxes in the early 2000s. That was a golden era of fiscal policy in this country. And boy, it's gone. It's gone for a wreck since. But I, I understand what ingredients it took to achieve those things. Well, it, it, you know, you say that there's no uh, appetite for what Rolf Klein was pitching back then. I mean, I'm looking at some of the very gloomy financial outlooks and, and seeing, you know, six plus percent inflation, uh, interest rates starting to go up. I mean, we might be back in a situation like that uh, before we know it, just given how out of control the spending has been, Troy. And yet at the same time, I, I don't know if you caught this, but the way that the media was covering, the legacy media was covering the budget, you know, they called it a conservative budget. They called it a, a spend, uh, that, 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 that it was cautious and uh, moderate and prudent. It was it was pretty wild um, to see uh, journalists calling, uh, you know, 50 plus billion dollar deficit a modest, prudent uh, budget. But I guess that's the power of uh, Trudeau bucks going to journalists and the uh, the changing attitude there. Uh, f- final question for you, Troy. What, what do you think the future holds for conservatives in Canada? Uh, generally speaking, are you optimistic? Do you think that we have the groundwork in, in place to really uh, you know, win some of these culture battles and, and, and get a conservative prime minister back in office? Or do you think we still have uh, a, a ways to go? Oh, God. I always want to be optimistic. I've dedicated my life to these fights. So of course, I want to be optimistic. I think some of this stuff is coming out of necessity. When we talk about the growing crisis in healthcare, when you just talk about the growing crisis and absolute horrific financial management of our country and our country's affairs, all of these things begin to necessitate a change of policy. I mean, the, the market is reckoning, right? What, what happened in the 1990s was is that we started to get downgrades and we were unable to borrow in the way that, that we had been up to that point. Unfortunately, sometimes it does take a crisis for everything to get together, but I do think when you look at some of the signs that are coming up, especially on the economic front, we are certainly coming to a reckoning and we have that opportunity. So we as a movement and certainly uh, politicians need to be in a place to to take up that role of leadership. Um, And so I I want to be optimistic. (laughs) It, it, It can be really frustrating and sometimes it is frustrating, but we keep pushing, we keep having these conversations, we keep working and moving forward. And I, and I think that's, that's all we can hope for. You know, in, in the early going, I'd like to use this analogy of the, of the 90s, but, you know, there was a time in the early 90s, I really believed I'd never lived to see the day of a balanced budget in this country. Like you just think, oh, my God, like this is the permanent state of things. But it wasn't. It did change. And we did start to create momentum. So as I say, I, I, I've seen what it's like to be on the on the winning side in a public policy sense. And I hope that there's obviously, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that there could be another renaissance of our ideas of a, um, a, a more limited, responsible government. Uh, and let's, we got to continue to build that, that big coalition of people that want to want to work with us. I, I like to think it's, it's um, a movement of the people that just want to be left alone. We want, we want government out of our lives and we want to have more decision-making authority to ourselves. Some are tapping into that right now, and and um, hopefully that momentum uh, continues. Well, I, I don't know your specific views on the trucker convoy, but that's what I saw it as, as a, a groundswell of sort of just regular everyday people who weren't political, who weren't 
organized, who weren't part of a network. They were just fed up and they went to Ottawa to tell the government basically to leave them alone. And uh, that, that, that gave me hope that there's still some uh, common sense out there amongst everyday Canadians who are sort of more apolitical. Uh, well, Troy, I, I really appreciate your time. I'm very excited about the upcoming conference. So again, we encourage everyone to go over to what, what, what's the what's the website where they can register for the conference? Canada, CanadaStrongAndFree.network will have information both on the best practices and on the main networking conference itself. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much to you, Troy. Thanks for your time. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Candace, to you and to True North for giving the opportunity to promote and talk about these conferences and events. Thank you. All right. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.